Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to Seeker Plus today. I am Trace, but this isn't actually going to be an episode of Seeker Plus. Instead, I'm going to do something special. We're going to play a full episode of our brand new podcast, Bad Science. On it, my buddy Ethan gets with experts and comedians and talks about our favorite movies and some of the science in those movies and why some of it is bad, but the movies are still awesome. So here is the full first episode. Let us know what you think. It's Star Wars, specifically Empire Strikes Back. You know, the second one. Well, technically it's episode five, but you already knew that because you spent the last 38 years dissecting the Star Wars universe. Behold, nerds, I have tidings of glorious erudition. No longer must you suffer through online forums or your uncle's weird basement theories about wampa ecology or the actual size of an exogorth or why everyone's wearing a vest. There's so many vests. Why do you need a vest in space? Today we end this galactic conflict once and for all. Welcome to Bad Science. Bad Science. Did the movie get it right? Bad Science. Or will we have to fight? Bad, 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 bad science. Greetings, Padawans. I'm Ethan Edinburgh, your infinitely curious host, and this is the first episode ever of Bad Science. Every week, we put a new movie under the microscope to differentiate between science fiction and science fact. This week is Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back, and we are honored to have a legendary musician, comedian, who you can catch on The Late Late Show with James Corden, and now every Friday night on his new Comedy Central show, Taskmaster, the admirable Admiral Reggie Watts. <laughs> it's a trap! <laughs> Star Wars reference off the bat. Love it. Um... So, also, we have appearing every weekday from what I would guesstimate to be 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, better known as JPL, its systems engineer, Emily Manor Chapman. Hello. <laughs> Wonderful. It's a trap. <laughs> um, okay, so I want to start off, uh, Emily, it says uh, upon our research that you do mission planning and engineering, and so I was hoping that Reggie could guess what that actually means that she does, because I don't really know. I think it's time to guess what the guest does. Mission planning and engineering? Well, I mean, I guess mission planning, uh, let's say uh, they're going to do a planet hunter. They're launching a planet hunter, and you plan um, how <laughs> how that mission is going to go. That's pretty good. Um, and then engineering, I imagine you have to be an engineer to plan a mission. Yeah. Actually, yeah, that's a really good guess. Mission planning is basically like planning a road trip, where uh -huh. if you think of the car as your spacecraft and Google Maps as your navigator, mm. and your scientist maybe as a camera you mount on top of your car, and you're trying to make all of them play nice together, and how we're going to work all together to make sure we achieve the goals of our mission. Wow. Okay. Very. It sounds so like so. That's what I stuff. did when I first started at JPL, and now I've moved on to I work specifically with instruments okay. on yes. missions and making sure that they work and can take the science that we're sending them to take. What kind of instruments are we talking about? Because where I'm from, cello, bass, guitar, drums. I have a feeling you're talking about something else. Yeah, scientific one. So like right now, I work on a mission called Insight. It's a lander. It's going to Mars, mm -hmm. and I work on instruments that measure the weather on Mars. So it's like a weather station. We're going to take the temperature, wind speed, atmospheric pressure on Mars, and earthquakes. And earthquakes. So that's the seismometer yeah. that we carry on board. Whoa. 
Uh, Reggie, do you know more about what she does than she I does? Was, I, was a, I have to admit, I was at JPL about three weeks ago. So Wow. What I, were you I doing at JPL? got inside on insight. <laughs> I got the inside on insight. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> it's a scoop. You heard it here first. That's right. So it's launching May 5th? May 5th. That's right. So And this comes out before that. So... Everybody can look out for the launch and watch it online, or how does that work? That's right. We'll have a, a live stream online, and we're launching out of Vandenberg Air Force Base, which is just north of Santa Barbara. So for people in SoCal, you'll be able to see it. Either you can go there and watch it in Lompoc, or if it's a clear night, it's going to be visible anywhere from San Maria all the way south to San Diego. And it launches at 4 a.m. on May 5th, so it's a night launch. It'll nicely light up the sky, even from Los Angeles. Okay, so you heard that. SoCal residents, get your sleep on May 3rd and 4th, and then May 5th, stay up all night, drive, and check out this amazing launch. May the 4th be with you. Yes, which is exactly what we're talking about here today, Reggie. Thank you for that segue. Um, before we begin, Star Wars, 1980, Episode 5, The Empire Strikes Back. Reggie, I think we spoke briefly, and you said it was your favorite of the Star Wars saga. Yes, uh, what makes it so special to you? What's your relationship with the film? Uh, I really, you know, it could have been my age, but I really thought that that, that scene on Hoth, like especially when the probe lands mm. and it's kind of like the harbinger of something terrible about to begin. And then them just waiting, the tension of them waiting and then taking binoculars and zooming in and seeing like this crazy force of walking gigantic robots heading towards them in the horizon, which I don't know why they didn't land closer. But uh, but, but it was like if that just ingrained on me and I love the all the detail of like the cold and you know and like dealing with machinery and the cold and all the technical aspects of it and um, I thought that was great it had like a lot it went through a lot of different environments and you kind of learned a lot about the characters and the carbon freezing and you know lifting a uh, an x-wing out of the the mire and like there's just like it kind of like to me is the perfect encapsulation of all things Star Wars for for me yeah yeah I think that's a great answer um the Yoda scene, yeah, with the the training sequence, all that stuff really yeah. impacted me too. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, it kind of went everywhere. It was kind of kind of nice that way. Yeah, Emily, same uh, same question to you. Yeah, um, I came to Star Wars kind of later. I think than most people. Um, I grew up though obsessed with space travel. I wanted to be an astronaut since I was like six years old. Uh, I started. I really got into Star Wars when I was in high school, and I think I just loved you know because I already love space flight. So seeing you know capability to fly across galaxies and kind of just that epic adventure you get to go on in Star Wars is really appealing to me. Great. Okay, wonderful. Well, uh, we we have some soft science questions and we have some hard science questions that we're going to get into here with uh, The Empire Strikes Back. And the first one, I think, has to do with what you're uh, studying, which is radio communication. In Star Wars, they have... Uh, from ridiculous gaps in space that they're like instantaneously able to communicate with each other, a lot of time via hologram, um, and I found that to be a little bit ridiculous. So could you maybe extrapolate on that a little bit? Oh, yeah. I totally wish that we had instantaneous communications like they do in Star Wars. It would make my job so much easier. Uh, but actually, we're limited to the speed of light. Nothing can go faster than the speed of light, including radio signals. So when we send a mission to Mars, the minimum amount of time it takes us to send a signal is about five minutes. Mm. And that can vary up to 20 minutes. And if you look at some of the New Horizons spacecraft, which in 2015 flew past Pluto, when they flew past, it took four and a half hours for them to send a signal. So you can take one picture they took, took four and a half hours wow, wow. to get back to Earth. Unbelievable. That's insane. 
Yeah, okay, so that answers my question. That is not possible. That is science fiction. Well, until we develop quantum entanglement, we can communicate. Uh, what's that, Reg? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's science fiction at this point, but theoretically, if we could harness the effect of quantum, quantum entanglement mm -hmm. uh, or spooky action at a distance, we can actually affect uh, two things uh, independent of the amount of space that's between them. So it's, oh. so it's like, a, like mirroring... Uh, like mirroring matter, matter mirroring, or molecular matter mirroring each other okay. at a distance. And being able to master that, you could build a communication apparatus on top of it, perhaps. I don't know. But that would be near real-time communication, independent of space. Okay, are you willing to drop everything that you're doing and just focus on that? I'll leave that to Reggie. So, oh, my God. No, <laughs> Reggie? It'll never get done. <laughs> it'll never get done. Yeah, that, that's like you're talking about uh, 200 years from now. Well, I think that if you got on it right now mm -hmm. and dropped, you know, the right. silly TV right. crap that you're doing, I then get we it. could get to the bottom of it. Yes, you're right. Okay. Thank I just you. wanted to make sure we're on the same page. Thank you, Edinburgh. You're welcome. Uh, also, I wanted to talk about the Tauntaun scene, which is towards the beginning of the film. Uh, and I think I'm saying that right, Tauntaun. Yes. Tauntaun. Sounds like a food. Uh, yeah. But so <laughs> Han Solo kills this Tauntaun in a very graphic way, I would say. It, do, it really comes out of nowhere. I mean, it's probably, you know, uh, normal for everyone because we've seen the movie a million times, but I just rewatched it for this podcast. I hadn't seen it in a bit, and I really did. It made me squirmish a little bit. It really made... Oh, boy. Uh, but anyways, is it possible for Luke to remain alive inside of this Tauntaun's uh, belly? I mean, you have to make a lot of assumptions to figure out whether or not you think it's possible. Like, um, why'd the Tauntaun die? Did it die from exhaustion or did it die from hypothermia? If it's died from exhaustion, it's probably at its regular body temperature. But if it had hypothermia, we already know its body temperatures drop. So there's a lot less heat for then the carcass to start giving out once it's dead, right? Because okay. it won't have any more heat to generate. It just has that but heat to even if it away. died from yeah. exhaustion, wouldn't it have still have been very cold because it was, you know, freezing? Well, at your interior body temperature, though, would still be pretty warm if okay. you're not suffering from hypothermia. If we can assume it's like a human body, they'd be at 98.6 degrees. Got you. But Star Wars literature can put overtime, overnight temperatures on Hoth at like minus 60 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm -hmm. So then you have to think about like how fast would that heat start moving away yeah. from the Tauntaun. So wow. maybe you have a little bit of time, but I think Han needs to hurry it up with that shelter. <laughs> yeah. I. Um, are you a gambling uh, woman, Emily? Not really. If you had to bet, as Reggie rolls the dice, would you put your money on Luke dying or surviving? I think it would really depend on how much time we're saying he spent in the Tauntaun. It seems to me like a few hours at least, right? Because there's like a desert of snow that we can right. see, so... I think, think? I think a few hours is definitely pushing it because mm. Luke is probably already suffering from hypothermia at that point. Mm -hmm. So I'd say like you probably have to do it inside of an hour, get your shelter built, build anything past that. Okay. Luke's probably starting, already starting to enter the next stages of hypothermia. I feel like it's a silly thing. I'm being picky about it here, and it's more of a plot issue. But I thought it was so silly that Luke even went after that asteroid in the first place. He knows the storm is coming. He's by himself, and he just takes off to go check out some random explosion. I thought that was like, it's like you got a death wish at that point. Yeah, maybe he was being guided by Le Force. That's true. So many of these questions seem to come down to he's guided by Yoda or the Force or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that, I mean, what a great... Well, let's talk about the Force for a second because people are able to move objects, have uh, telekinesis, if you will. So what's that? What, what do you think can 
you know, what would that be made of? How would how would we have the energy to move something like that? Wow. What are the things that they talk about? The 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 kind of the biological, the bio oh. physics uh, st- stuff. What are oh, they midichlorians. Called? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I don't I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's it's an interesting thing because obviously like our idea, I mean, in science at this point is like you can't move stuff with your mind. Like you know, right. at this point, who knows? But in the future, there may be like some way to, I don't know influence reality in some way. I mean, in a way, like when magicians do things, like it kind of like right. subverts our expectation and, and we're like, oh, wow, it's possible just for a second. But it's the perception of it. And the perception of it is almost the same as if it were true. Right. So I don't know. Maybe there's some weird like interrelationary way of dealing with matter in the universe in the future that we kind of come into a new understanding with or something like that. Because okay. obviously nature itself is a is a beautifully closed system that reacts off of itself in a balanced way. Um, so it is creating amounts of forces that do affect things. However, human beings being self-centered and, you know, like thinking we're special, you know, like maybe we could have the power of the universe, you know, but maybe, I don't know. I don't know. Emily, you know? No, I've never really come up with a theory as to what I think is the force. I mean, if you look at physics, you have your four classical forces, gravitational, electromagnetic, strong, and weak nuclear forces. So it's like, is there a fifth kind of force or somehow mm-hmm. they can harness those even more and make them able to move atoms? I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or what if we're in a simulation and then we, we tap into the person the or the whatever the entity is that is experiencing the simulation and we're like, oh, yeah, we'll just alter the code. Yeah, easy. I always thought for some reason it's like a meditational monk thing, enlightenment that we could get to. For some reason, my belief, I mean, it's not really a belief, but my <laughs> thought process goes to like, if, uh, if we if we've combine our mental energies enough, we're capable of more than we think as humans. I think that that's true. I don't know about moving things, but there is definitely there's documented phenomena where people have like sudden bursts of strength that, right. that you know, that they're like, oh my gosh, because technically... You know, one square inch of muscle can lift 100 pounds. Yeah, but one square it, inch of your muscle. Of, of, yeah, of my <laughs> muscle specifically. Everybody else about 87. Yeah. But uh, but if you were to harness all that at once, you would just break your skeleton. But worth it. But there are, there are times when people, I mean, like watching Michael Jordan jump in the air, like doing like a, a, a like a dunk or whatever. Yeah. And you see like midway, it seems like he stepped on air right. to go one more higher. Obviously, it's just like mechanics and so forth. But there are th- ways to fudge things to make them more fantastic than we think. Yeah, I'm very interested in that. Um, so another uh, funny one here for me is that when Luke gets his arm cut off by the lightsaber, which obviously we don't have. so I'll keep, hand, it's hand, keep, not arm. All right, on. I'm God. sorry. <laughs> Thank God that you're here. Oh. Don't want to offend anyone. <laughs> he gets his arm, uh, his hand uh, cut off somewhere near the, the elbow, I guess. <laughs> So we're like we're really move it up. we're really splitting. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, there's no, and I guess they did it for PG purposes. Like there's no blood, yeah. And I and I thought, okay, maybe it just cauterized his his hand. Yeah. But maybe not. Maybe heat doesn't really do that. I've never tried to amputate myself. <laughs> With a beam of intense light energy. Correct. Yes, I have tried to amputate myself with a bunch of other tools, right. but not that specific tool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Any uh, thoughts? I mean, it makes you sense think? that it would cauterize, right? Yeah, I mean, 
depending on what we assume a lightsaber is made right. of. Right, mm-hmm. right, of course. Uh, but yeah, if we think it's a very hot blade, like we see in other movies, they melt metal with it. So it's yes. got to be really pretty hot. Pretty so hot. Maybe it can, but on your hands, it's so hot that even just coming into contact for that brief oh, amount of time, their skin would just be like burning everything. Yeah, oh. or vaporizing. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like uh, it's like those videos when people throw watermelons into volcanoes. It's like <laughs> they just it just goes poof. It's just like a little puff of Too water hot. vapor, and that's it. It's done. So I don't know. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I mean, yeah, I guess. It, I, we don't know exactly, but I mean, technically, if it somehow was a beam that was super laser precise, yeah, and could control, you know, the angle or whatever that you're moving through something, then I guess it would it would cauterize, okay, or, or it would hurt. So I'm putting the stamp of uh, conclusion on that. That checks out. I think it's highly probable. <laughs> okay, no more research think... necessary. We got it. Okay. <laughs> All right, my last soft science question is about the AT-ATs, which I had a big problem with, and you we don't mean, have to harp on it. You mean the alter- all-terrain armored transports? Yeah, the I all-terrain armored ad-ats. transports. Adats. Yeah. Yeah, of course, the adats. <laughs> Do they say adats? Yeah, the... it's adats. Ad-ats. Yeah. Although I've seen there's like no. now a debate between people who are like it's AT-AT or it's adat. Yeah, I'm I, on the side that it's at at. I think Ad-at. it's at at only because I don't recall people actually saying them in the movie. Yeah, they never do. They never do. Whoa. So I remember the start being growing, being a kid of the '80s. Like when the toys came out, people said at at. So okay. I'm only assuming what I heard, but it could be. A, I mean, technically, at at would be more precise, right? right? Because it's all terrain armor transport. That's true, but at at has a nice catchy. At at. It. Yeah. at at. Hey, where it at at? <laughs> dare, dare. <laughs> uh oh. How was that not in the movie? How did they not? I don't know. They should have. They, <laughs> Deleted like, scene. Like, like, a, like, a, like a little weird, stupid, over CGI'd creature just popping up in the frame going, oh, where they at at? Oh, dare, dare. Uh oh. I'm just like, no? Uh, no, yes. I, okay. I vote yes. Um, okay, so we have, a, we have a fun game here set up, uh, which I'm uh, calling R2D Cipher. So Ooh. thank you so much. I uh, came up with in a panic half an hour ago. Thank you for your service. Uh, you're very welcome, of course. And so we're going to play a couple R2D2 clips, and I was hoping <laughs> oh, either of you or both of you can decipher oh, what R2D2 is saying. So keep in mind, there's no wrong answer here. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so we're all in agreement. What's going on? <laughs> Fantastic. So Tom, please hit it. Uh, Dagobah system. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, to me, he sounds a little worried. Anyone? Emotions. I thought he sounded a little happier there. Yeah. Oh, okay. It sounded like he was like wolf whistling. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like he saw a really nice other droid or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I could hear that. <laughs> Look at that flying whatever that is. Woo wee. I didn't know R two D two was so uh, perverted. He's yeah, a really he's strange like, oh, guy. He just, you know, he learned wrong when he was young. <laughs> yeah, it's not his fault. Yeah, not his fault. Yeah, it could evolve. <laughs> they learn as they go. That's part of their uh, how they work. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's hear the next one. Holy. Oh. Okay. 
Yeah, I think that one he sounds like a bit more upset. Like, mm-hmm. maybe Luke, why are you chasing force ghosts across the galaxy? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's That's like in call. 3CPO mode there, but R2 D2 version. Yeah, like, yeah, you're oh, right. He's. Don't do that. Why are you doing that? Like, that kind of, yeah, he absorbs. A imitation, by the way. I thought it was flawless. Thank you. He kind of, yeah, absorbs his anxiety there. Yeah, on that yeah one. totally. R2's like, don't do that. <laughs> like that. I, know. <laughs> I wish, by the way, that it went from. <laughs> Beeping two words, he slowly learns English. Okay, let's let's play the next one. Oh yeah, that's I mean, classic. That is classic. I yeah, mean, that's classic D two. <laughs> I mean, what is there anything even to say? <laughs> what can you possibly learn? Uh, we have one more. Play the last one. That's, a, that's some distress stuff, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would agree, especially inferring from the explosion noise in the background. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> a little giveaway. I guess so. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. No, that was fireworks. Oh, oh, so he's having a good time. It's July 4th. <laughs> just, they still celebrate, actually. In yeah, the he's just bummed that they didn't spend the credits to get the bigger, <laughs> nicer fireworks. <laughs> that's right. Oh, boy. Okay, um, while we're on this road, why don't we just keep going? I have another sound effect game. Um this one's kind of fun. So let's let's play. We're going to play a few sound effects, and then you guys just tell me what it is okay. from the film. Okay? You got it. Sound effect one. Go ahead, Tom. Mm. Thoughts? <sighs> Trash compactor? Well, that was in... New Hope, not Empire Strikes right. Back, but it definitely right. sounds like something heavy and metallic moving around. So, okay. oh right, we're talking about Empire Strikes yeah, Back. So um, this one has an answer, one? obviously. So, it sounds. I mean, it's indoors, mm. <laughs> not indoor. <laughs> um, it's definitely inside of a large construct, and there's like that is true. It's there's a there's actuators. The, the carbonite freezing scene. Oh. Emily? Oh, maybe. That is correct. Oh, my God. Nailed it. That's great. Yeah, yeah, That's 574 points. Congratulations. Oh, my gosh. 574. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Your score, of course, must remain hidden until round two. Of course. Yeah, until otherwise. I would never. Yeah. Uh, So let's play round two. Okay. Is that the Hoth, Hoth emergency? I think so, yeah. Chime. So I've uh, it the is the imperial it oh. is the imperial uh, alarm. Damn. Imperial yeah, very close. Uh, it's an alarm. It is definitely an alarm. It's a siren, a frightening sounding one. By I mean, the way, it is. Yeah, you don't want you don't want to hear that. You don't want to hear if that. If you're not on their side, if you're right. on their side, you're like uh, you still don't want to hear it, but you know it's but at then least it's it, helpful. I, so yeah, right away you're like oh no, but then it's like oh it's their alarm. Yes. Awesome. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. Love that sound. <laughs> Okay. Love it or hate it. Here's the third one, round three. Galaga? Emily? Oh, yeah, I think definitely space battle. Okay, you are both somewhat TIE fighter. correct, but it, oh, is Darth in, Vader's. it is in fact Michael Winslow, vocal wizard. 
making noises with his mouth. Are you serious? <laughs> yes. The music is from the film, but he has these shows where he will yes. do the sounds from the movie, and that is him. That's so crazy because uh, I was just talking about Michael Winslow yesterday. Okay. And specifically enlightening the person we were talking with about the fact that he rescores, refoleys Star Wars scenes. Oh, wow. So it's very so bizarre. So specific. Yeah, yeah, wow. I came across that video and was absolutely blown away. That was the most impressive part, but honestly, the whole thing was completely, yeah. completely ridiculous. Amazing. <laughs> All right. He's the best. Okay, so... We're going to take a quick break here, and then when we come back, we will have the hardcore X-Wing science stuff. Okay, here I go. Dawn liquid detergent is the best detergent you can use if you're using a detergent. So why not use Dawn? It's better than Dusk. Dawn, it's better than Dusk. (laughs) The break is over. Here we go. Back to the show about science. Okay, about these AT-ATs, ATATs, why would they design them to walk like elephants? Why not fly around or hover or uh, some such? That's, that's tough. Yeah, I mean, I think it depends um, if you just look at any project like an engineer might do. What's the application? Where do you want to take it? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, AT-ATs are pretty big. So maybe they're too big even in Star Wars for their hover technology. Um Maybe, you know, every place we see in Star Wars always has an atmosphere and it's breathable and you can fly around in it. But in reality, you're probably going to end up in a spot where you don't have a thick atmosphere Ooh. and you can't fly in it. So something that walks is going to be much more useful than yes. something that can't fly in whatever planet you take it to. That is the coolest answer I've heard ever. Yeah. I would also, I would, I would say that, remember, it's the Empire. So intimidation and perception has something to do with exactly. It. These are the people who built a Death Star like three times and called it a Death Star. <laughs> yeah, bold name. <laughs> yeah, totally three times. Like, no, no, we we we, we gonna build it. Like, yeah, you just got destroyed. Yeah, but we are gonna build it again. Okay, great. Should we do it differently or just bigger? Oh, just bigger. <laughs> oh, this one harvests energy from the sun. Okay, that's cool. Should we name it something different so that maybe people aren't sure what it is or yeah, so we have we an element it? of surprise? What should we call it? <laughs> no, Death Star again. Okay. Yeah. Let's it? not Killer? think about it. What was it? Flat, uh, Star Killer. Star Killer. Yeah. Oh, great. Star Killer. Your career is over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Destroyer is the name of their other, right? Cruiser. Oh, yeah. Star oh, Destroyers. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Star Destroyer. Very aggressive. Uh, then there's the Imperial Cruisers. Yeah. You know, there's a whole fleet of stuff we can get into fleet there. Names. You know, you have Star Destroyer and then Super Star Destroyer. So, That's again, right. don't give it a different name. Right. Just put Super in yeah. front of it. Yeah, Next wow. Next is Hyper, of course. It takes up the whole galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> well, then why does it have to move? Okay, two quick points. One on the ATAT, just as an add-on, and feel free to tell me there's no need for me to answer this. I'm a scientist. Ethan, don't waste my time. I thought it was pretty wild that they are able to wrap a wire around it and trip them. I felt like defensively they could have easily thought to put a, I don't know, a knife or some sort of <laughs> wire-cutting technology. doesn't seem so far-fetched. Um so, and then secondly, I wanted to ask about the TIE fighters because they say they use ion drives for propulsion, and we have those mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. We do. So uh, that's like legit, right? Yeah. Um, actually, and if you look at the Dawn spacecraft done by NASA that studied Ceres and Vesta, that's like the TIE fighter 
that NASA made, kind of, because it uses an ion engine. It uses solar panels, just like the solar collectors on a TIE fighter. So um, it's kind of like you can point to that and see, yeah, we have the same type of technology. Just it's not as powerful as what they show in uh, Star Wars to be able to like move a TIE fighter that fast. Dawn does not move that fast. But we definitely have ion engines, and we've used them in space missions already. Nice. Okay, nice. that's cool. So cool. Yeah, crazy <laughs> cool. Digging deeper into these ion drives, what, what goes into that? How do they work? So an ion drive um, or engine is a type of elect- electrical propulsion. So we're flowing ions and using electricity to create thrust. And they're different from traditional rocket engines that they create a lot lower thrust, but they also need a lot lower amounts of fuel. So you could just turn that ion engine on and let it operate for a very long time and have it push you up to very, very high speeds. Whereas a traditional engine, we know we burn it for a short amount of time and get that big burst of speed all at once. But it's also, it's costly in the way we think about space flight because we have to carry a bunch of mass with us being the fuel for those chemical engines. Whereas electric propulsion has benefits because you need a lower amount of fuel and you can burn for a very long time. Wow. seems really useful. That's cool. Um, which reminds me also about the fuel. They never refuel, it feels like. They just, they're, they're, the fuel that they have, I don't know if it's a different kind of fuel. I don't know if they talk about it in the film. Yo, what the fuel? Yeah, what the fuel, Emily? <laughs> yeah, they never talk about that. I mean, I guess you could assume that somewhere in their hangar bay they were refueling everything. But, yeah, I don't think they ever talk about what type they use. Yeah, and they never true. in space flight ever worry about it. Right. Uh, like you'd brought up, like, Luke just decides to go to Dagobah. Right. Yeah, right. It's willy-nilly. Yeah. So the only thing that I think the only way you can get around that is like saying, well, the rendezvous point was at least as far or farther away than Dagobah, so clearly he could go there. But yeah, he seems to give no thought to, I'm just going to go to this other. Yeah, what if he's stranded on the planet, too? I mean, There's the no... most you get is some hoses hooked up to a ship and a, ba- and a hangar. Yeah. That's it. Right. That, you know, or you'll see TIE fighters hung from a suspension rack, and that's kind of that's kind of it. I guess you're assuming they're recharging there. Maybe they have some like super nuclear... Reactor. That's true. I just feel like they thing. would say something because normally they, you know, mention all these random. Well, because the ships explode when they get hit. <laughs> so, so there's yeah. definitely something in there that's. Right. But it's, it's definitely got to be some type of really advanced technology because also you look at like an X Wing's pretty small compared to Star Destroyer, but yet it still has a hyperdrive. It can jump all the way across. That's so true. The yeah. Galaxy. Everything so has it's got to have some like really small but really powerful energy source, fuel source within it to be able to do these types of things. Oh, Lucas. Think these things through. Yeah, you messed up. (laughs) From the guy who brought you Jar Jar Binks. (laughs) Um, So let's actually jump into the hard science because of what you just mentioned, Um, hyperdrive, hyperspace, all that stuff. I was curious about it. In um, Star Trek, which we don't have to talk about, they use warp drive. They don't say hyperdrive and from my research i've found that that's a little bit more accurate right understandable could be a thing maybe in the future to like warp time and space but hyperdrive or hyperspace is hypothetical at best yes. is that correct yeah yeah so given today's technology again we're limited to the speed of light we can't go faster than that we can't even get anywhere near it right now our rockets that we use and spacecraft that that we've flown get are very very very, very tiny, 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 lots of 0.00 uh, percentage of, of light speed. Mm. Um, but there's theoretical physics who talk about things like wormholes, and if you can connect two points in space, then you don't have to, it, you can make a shorter distance between them, and so you get there faster. So it looks like maybe you're going light speed, but mm. in practical experimental physics, you have nothing that actually can approach light speed yet besides actual, you know, light. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to take that breakthrough. And if the theories are right, that you could create something before we actually 
get to something like warp drive. Okay. Didn't they t- didn't they teleport a photon? Wasn't a photon teleport? Yeah, there was a study. Was that actual computer. teleportation or was that, yeah, because like I remember hearing about that. Yeah, I don't remember. Was yeah. that like a scientist or like David Blaine? You know, you have to spoil everything. Um, it was a scientist. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry for the, sorry for that. I just don't. I've never heard of anything being teleported, so I thought, yeah, well, it's I get a magic it. trick. I get it. Do you? I mean, now I do. <laughs> At first, I was just saying something, and then I was like, no, I'm saying something because I mean it. <laughs> because I really do get it. Yeah. Um, okay, great. So we're closer to teleportation than to hyperdrive or hyperspace. Yeah, because I mean, they did that. If I remember correctly, it was like, you know, a single yeah. atom. Yeah. We're in Star Wars. We're looking at a giant spaceship. <laughs> right, right. Well, you got to start somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. One one photon at a time. Yes. That's how I take my life. Yeah. One I mean, photon at a time. I mean, that's so crazy. that they, I mean, also, like, the idea of telepresence is interesting. Like, if, we, if we're able to, like, slowly populate planets in the solar system or wherever, distant, distant places, and you can just kind of go there, you know, because of the instrument cluster, or maybe there's a scan and then the scan kind of recreates a virtual version of it and you can kind of like pretend to be there. Right, right, right. Um, It's kind of interesting because it's a form of fast travel, although you're not, your body isn't there, but your sensory apparatus are kind of there, which is kind of interesting. That kind of happened to me last night, actually. I was at a a Japanese restaurant and they had a screen of a live feed of Tokyo, like on the street. Oh. So you could kind of... Oh, that's crazy! You know, I don't, I don't know if they were broadcasting us in Japan, right? Of telepresence. So yeah. Well, it was cool. Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. I got to do this thing over the weekend. Uh, <laughs> it was virtually walking on Mars. Oh, really? yeah. So uh, we taken hollow lenses, and they had stitched together uh, images taken by the Curiosity rover. So you put them on, and it's like you were walking around <sighs> on Mars. It was really, really cool. That's so crazy. I that that's exciting to me. To yeah. Have, like helm a robot. Could you imagine? Like you think you're going in real time, but literally, like the commands are like by the time it gets there, the robot's like delayed by whatever it is. But I love that idea of like I'm on this. Planet, I mean, you kind of as as close as you can get. Yeah, without the whole burden of the trip. Yeah, who wants that? No, not me. Would you, would you want to go? Oh, I would definitely go. Would you be the first to go? Oh, <clears throat> uh, that's a good question. Thank you. Don't um, do it. I don't. I don't know. Like maybe, but I'd be really mad if no one ever came after me. Wow. Um, because yeah, why would you be mad that no one came after you? Because we did all that work and made all that sacrifice, and you guys just gave up and didn't send anyone else. Oh, like, oh. To, I would totally be like, <laughs> I'd be okay being in that first wave of like establishing another presence on another planet, but hopefully, you know, more people are going to follow you. Don't yes. you think that that's a huge risk, also, though, going first? <sighs> I guess you know the risks. Right. She knows the risks. Yeah, well, she does. And but she's, she's willing to go. She's among like 83 people that know the risks. Oh, okay. So is it, it's weird because I feel like we don't really know the risks, and yet we're here being like, oh, I'm not going to go. That's a risk I'm willing to take about risk, my own version of risk assessment. It's a risky risk assessment that you have, actually. I've looked at that. You know that Tom Cruise movie, um, Legend? <laughs> what? Legend? Oh, sorry. Risky, risky business. business. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what? Oh, boy. Okay, um, here's another one, which I believe that you have uh, an expertise in. Bespin, the planet mm-hmm. that they go to, the Cloud City planet. 
uh, I had a lot of questions about, and it seems very similar to Jupiter, which mm-hmm. you have some sort of background in. Is that correct? Yes. Um, the other mission I work on at JPL is the Juno mission, uh, which is a spacecraft that's in orbit around Jupiter. Um, we've been there about a little over a year and a half now studying Jupiter. Great. Spacecraft. Unbelievable. Yeah. Jupiter is fascinating to me. Uh, gas giant. They don't know what's in the middle of Jupiter. Is that correct? That's always that's been... That's right. That's what Juno's focused on is understanding Jupiter. What is the interior made of and how did it form? Jupiter is the largest planet in our solar system. Um, it's made up primarily of hydrogen and helium, which is the same thing as the sun. So we know it was probably the first, first planet to form. So if we understand Jupiter, we understand how there planets like Jupiter, gas giants form, but also that goes to um, solar system creation and how solar systems form. Wow. Unbelievable. That's so cool. So Jupiter was first. Do we know, like, <clears throat> of the order of the, the chronological of the planets? Um, I don't know, like, hmm. I'll put them on the way, but we know that, like, gas giants probably come first because they're, they're made, like I said, hydrogen and helium. So they're going to gather up all the leftover gases that the sun leaves behind. Those are lice. They're going to... That's wow. why they're so big. They get them all first. And then you get something like Earth and Mars, which are the rocky planets. They're picking up a, the leftover rocks that haven't been coalesced into another planet yet. Great. Do you think it's possible that Jupiter has nothing and it's just made entirely of gas? I mean, like what holds the shape of it? I mean, it would seem like you have to have some kind of gravity. Yeah, because it's so big. So the way planets start to form is you'll have just a bunch of gas or rocks floating around and they start collapse. Um, colliding into each other and they stick to each other and then it happens more and more and they get bigger so they start to amass wow. more mass and so gravity starts to form once they get to a big enough size and then you get all the, all the other physics and dynamics start happening so you get that really large body that then it's large enough and massive enough to have gravity but yeah we're not quite sure what's in the middle of Jupiter that's one of the things that Juno is studying does it have a solid core or not we believe that you get down far enough with the pressure it's high enough that hydrogen oh. turns metallic. And Whoa. so that's how Jupiter has that really crazy magnetic field and a lot of radiation oh around God. it. It's because you have this spinning oh, mass so cool. of hydrogen, <laughs> hyd- metallic hydrogen somewhere down. Wow. Deep when do you think we'll know what's what's in there? Oh, I mean, I think I think Tuesday. the science has been getting really good <laughs> data, but I'm not a scientist who's looking at it to say, like, oh, we'll know here. Yeah. Um, but Juno's yeah. been returning really great data so far yeah. can't wait i mean not to make you bet again because i don't want to tempt you into this life yeah. but if you had to are we talking a year are we talking 10 years will i be able to know yeah i mean even now um as we, as we gather more data the scientists start to write papers so papers are coming out about juno and the first theory so you'll You'll see that now, and, and you know, as Juno goes on, even beyond Juno, the, that data set is always available there to scientists to go back and look. I mean, scientists still go back to um, Galileo, which we sent to Jupiter back in the 90s, and, and look at that data. So those data sets are always there and can always be used for new studies and to update our understandings. Awesome. Okay, so everybody be checking uh, online every day. You never know. We're going to find Galileo, out. Galileo, 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 Galileo. Uh, quick commercial break here uh, for uh, Galileo. Galileo spacecraft since 1990s. <laughs> <laughs> and we're back. I'd also love to talk about the asteroid scene. There's a scene where Han Solo is piloting the Millennium Falcon through this asteroid belt where there's a ton of asteroids very close together. And it seems 
impossible. It seems like that would, like they would all, like you were just talking about, gravitate towards each mm-hmm. other and form like one big thing, or they would be like really far apart from each other. Right. Yeah, so if you look at our asteroid belt, which um, orbits between Mars and Jupiter and our solar system. Is it the Kuiper belt? Kuiper belt is out by, beyond Pluto. The Oort and then cloud? the cloud is beyond that. Okay, I'll stop saying things. Yeah. See you later. No, 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 we're learning. This is all, <laughs> this is, you know, that's the whole point here. Yeah. No, but what is this one? So the asteroid belt, uh, we don't have a fancy name for it. It's just the asteroid oh, belt. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, it's, wow. it's a collection of, of bodies between Mars and Jupiter. And there, I mean, the average distance between them is something like 600,000 miles. Like What? When we, I mean, we've sent spacecraft out to the outer sol- solar system. We have never once, you know, been hit by anything in the asteroid belt, right? We're not oh. worried about smashing into something because it's so dense out there. You know, we do look and see what we understand is out there when we plan a mission, but we're not like, yeah. oh, like having to do this crazy obstacle course or anything to <laughs> You're get not through like, it. I hope yeah. it clears it. <laughs> um, and a lot of the, the um, bodies out there are also very small. The largest in the asteroid belt is Ceres at about 590 miles across compared wow. to the Earth, Damn. which is almost 8,000 miles across. So hmm. much smaller bodies out there as wow. well. Wow. Okay, cool. So what would, it, what would it take for these asteroids to be closer together? Why would that ever occur if it were to occur? Um. I think more like if you want like something that has that particles like much closer together, it's better to look at planetary rings. Mm. Like if you look at the ring system uh, of Saturn, right there, you have a much denser collection of particles. But again, they're also much smaller. Um, they're even smaller than the things we're finding in the asteroid belt. But there, you still get a much denser collection, and it's still you, something you couldn't fly a spacecraft through. Why not? You'd just be getting hit by bombarded. Bombarded, and those particles are going very fast, you know, because they're wow. they, you have to go something that small has to go really fast to be able to stay in orbit around Saturn. Whoa. So you think of the relative like speeds everything's moving, you would Damn. just be getting peppered, and like um, the Cassini spacecraft that explored Saturn, like effort had to go into studying like where we think the rings stop and start, and you know, never going too close, and like definitely never attempting to fly through them. Wow. Even in the rings in the Saturn rings, we have things called like gaps, like there's the Enki Gap or the Cassini Division, which makes you think like, oh, there's nothing there. That's not true. There's still stuff there. You couldn't fly a spacecraft through it. Wow. Ugh. Where there's gravity, there'd be trouble. Okay. Jedi powers. Do you guys want one specific Jedi power? Because there's, you know, the obvious like convincing people of things. There's moving stuff with your mind. I'd Uh, say convincing people. More practical in the long run. Yeah. Like, I really need to get those gold bars inside that vault. You really need to get those gold bars inside that vault. I was thinking more humanitarian, like, you need to stop this oh, war. Right. Yeah, um, <laughs> you need to create decentralized energy for all people so that there are no centralized financial institutions controlling access to resources. Okay. <laughs> Doesn't even repeat it back to you. <laughs> got it. Yeah, he's like, uh, it's like, I'm not going to repeat that, but I basically got it. I'll press the button. You can trust me. <laughs> Relinquish control button. <laughs> Is that the one you'd go with, Emily? I know, that's or? really good one. I was thinking, like, maybe, like, force jumping or force speed where you can run really fast. <sighs> okay, yeah. so you're more into parkour than... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're like, I'm out of here in a really fancy way. <laughs> could take my car, but... You can but... make the best entrances and exits that way. Totally. Really oh, yeah. And I feel like you just automatically be in great shape, right? I yeah. mean, do you have to work out if no, you can you force wouldn't. jump? You yeah. wouldn't. Nope. I think that we've learned a lot. We've had a good time. Any uh, final thoughts, you guys? Uh, looking forward to the new Star Wars film, Han Solo? Solo. Um, sort of. Solos, kind of. <laughs> it's like, is it, was it a coincidence he was named Han Solo? Um, 
I'm I'm looking forward to it. I mean, it definitely the way it's marketed, it looks like it's for teenagers. Right. You know, it's like here's the teenager Star Wars. Yeah. Um I think Star Wars High School. Yeah, so Star Wars High School. It's like yeah. <laughs> ding 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 ding. Star Wars. Solo, great. Um, <laughs> Why weren't you a gym class? <laughs> hey man, I don't know. I'm um, rambunctious. I'm a you know renegade guy. Um, yeah, I, I I think I think it's gonna I think it's gonna be cool. I'm really excited about um, the. I mean, I'm anything that comes out that's Star Wars. I mean, like I think the reboot thing is actually kind of working uh, pretty well, and I think that they're capturing the spirit of it. And now they're kind of like they're they're creating their own version of Star Wars. Like that's starting to begin now. It's like Star Wars is is caught up to itself right. through the nostalgia effect, and now we're kind of exploring new storylines. And thankfully, there are good directors that are jumping on. Solo's been in trouble a little bit. Um, yeah. So we'll see how that all comes together. Uh, who took it over? Um, Ron Howard. Ron Howard, yes. Yeah. Ron Howard, yeah. Let's Opie see. Cunningham. From fishing on a lake <laughs> to directing people with laser blasters. Yeah, yeah. several space uh, films in his repertoire now. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, I don't know, I'm, I'm excited about it. And I definitely, <laughs> Donald Glover as Lando Calrissian, that's like. Uh, I think that's the part I'm most excited about. I know. Yeah. Yeah, same with me. Same. I just want to see him be all suave and kind yeah. of Billy D. I, I'm excited about all of it. I think science fiction is one of the greatest story formats in the world because it 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 defies race categorization and it gives hope uh, for people to kind of think about the commonalities and disparate social situations and like how people can work together. Absolutely. That's what I love about it. Love that. And if I may call you. <laughs> what do I think about Solo? Yeah, you yeah. hyped up. Um, I'm excited. I think I've been a little bit on the fence because, yeah, all the stories about the trouble and stuff. So I'm definitely going to go see it as well. But, Great. Um, I liked, I've liked more of these... Um, not the trilogy movies, but the other one, like Rogue One, I've liked that those great. better than the trilogy movies they've done so far. So, yes. yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to these. Like you said, the new stories that aren't... That's given me more space to explore other things. Great. Okay, well... Guys, look out on May 5th for the Mars launch. Yes, and um, if you want to follow Insight, you can follow them on Twitter at yes. NASA Insight, or their website is mars.nasa.gov forward slash insight. Beautiful. Love that. Drive up to, where is it, Northern uh, California? Lompoc, California. Lompoc, California, to watch the launch. And look out for tax, Taskmaster. Yeah, Taskmaster and my band's uh, album, Wahada. Uh, releases May 11th. Great. Um, so you can check that out and uh, you know live long and prosper. Uh, wrong film. <laughs> oh, sorry. Right. Um, may, uh, I may, have a bad feeling about this? Yeah, I have a bad, yeah. There it is. Uh, That's the tagline. Check, check out the new single, I Have a Bad Feeling About This. By Wahada. <laughs> yeah, by Wahada. <laughs> um, okay, like to thank my guests, Reggie and Emily. Thank you guys so much. Really appreciate you coming down. Thanks, Thanks for having me. Anytime. Of course. And uh, we'll see you guys next time on Bad Science. Bad Science is hosted and produced by me, Ethan Edinburgh. Brent Butler jumped on to help me produce this episode, as well as Tom Moles and Sachin Medhecker as associate producers. And of course, the Jedi Master executive producer is Brett Kushner. Wasn't that awesome? I know. It's so good, right? Make sure that you subscribe to Bad Science. Just search for Bad Science wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you give it a like and a rating now that you've heard the whole first episode. Stay tuned for future episodes. I actually got to go down to L.A. and beyond the show. It was so much fun. So I hope you enjoy that.
And also, thank you so much for tuning in to Seeker Plus. I am Trace. We'll see you next time.